Hey everyone, welcome back to the BME Grad Podcast. I'm Allie. I'm Brian. And this is episode six of season two, but our first episode of a four-part mini-series with the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program in the Joint Department of Biomedical Engineering at UNC and NC State. If you've ever thought about a master's in biomedical engineering, I think this mini-series is going to be for you. This program is near and dear to our hearts, of course, because it's a joint program from the universities we both went to. So just to give you a little bit of a background to the program, the program is an 11-month program for students interested in acquiring the skills necessary to lead biomedical-related early-stage ventures or to drive new product development in healthcare industries. The curriculum utilizes clinical immersion to identify healthcare innovation opportunities, teaches path to market concepts, including regulatory aspects unique to medical devices and pharmaceuticals, and facilitates development of commercialization strategies for innovative biomedical technologies. So in 11 months, you'll basically work through needs discovery, design and validation, and product development. You'll receive mentorship from biotech entrepreneurs, legal scholars, venture partners, and tons of other professionals in the network. And to shout out some of the institutions involved, the program leverages the NC State College of Engineering, the UNC School of Medicine, the NC State Pool College of Management, the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy, and the NC State College of Veterinary Medicine. And of course, the huge biotech industry in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. So on this episode to kick off the mini-series, we have Dr. David Zaharoff, the program director, and Matt Penny, the associate director, here to give you an overview of what the program's like, what they're looking for, how to apply, and answer some of those common questions. So please enjoy the first episode of this four-part mini-series with the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program. Welcome to the podcast, David and Matt. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Allie and Brian. Yeah, so this is kicking off the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program Series, uh, the master's program at UNC and NC State. It'd be great if you both could give an introduction to um, who you are and who you are in terms of in the program. Sure. I'm David Zaharoff. I'm the director of the the MedTech program. I also run a research lab uh, focused on development of delivery strategies for immunotherapies. Yeah, and I'm Matt Penny. I'm the associate uh, director of the program. Um, I am also full-time in industry. I work as a staff engineer for, for a, a surgical robotics company called Noah Medical. And so I guess before we even jump into this program, could you tell us like what is MedTech to you? It's a MedTech innovation and entrepreneurship. So let's start maybe for somebody listening that wants to know more. What is MedTech? MedTech is short for medical technology. So you can think of anything technologically oriented within the medical field, um, medical devices, software, artificial intelligence, anything pertaining to healthcare and the intersection with uh, technology. Yeah, and I would just add uh, even... even um looking at like combination products or, or even drug delivery uh, type things, implants um, too. So, so uh, spanning that end of the spectrum all the way to the things that David was just describing. Maybe like with the innovation and entrepreneurship, I don't know, you know, there's a lot of ways this could go in terms of um, a master's program. And from what I've learned about your program, it seems maybe a little contrary to a formal education and a lot more like um, out in the field kind of oriented. So why did you start the program? And was that kind of in mind to kind of break away from a more traditional 
form of a master's program or what do you think on that? So if I can take a historical perspective, if you think about master's degrees in biomedical engineering, maybe 20 years ago, we used to only have the one flavor, uh, which was research-based. Mm-hmm. And it kind of went away. And I'm not really sure why it went away. I, I suspect it went away because there was this movement to directly admit people who are interested in research directly into the PhD track. And that was a, maybe a competition advantage there. So why would you, if someone's going to admit you to the master's track, but somebody else is going to admit you to PhD, just go direct to PhD. So over time, I would say BME has de-emphasized research masters more so than other engineering disciplines. But what it has substituted with, because master's degrees are still very useful, are master's degrees in, in specialization areas. So you can get, you can look at master's degrees in, in a variety of different universities, and you will find that you will have a, a wide range of specializations from what we do, medical devices, to maybe something focused on more biological relevance or biotechnology. Um, in constructing ours, it's kind of, uh, are, are you familiar with the Japanese concept of ikigai? I don't think so. I'm not, no. <laughs> no. no. So it, it's, I think it's, it's, um, it's loosely translated as the, a, a, the way of a reason for living, a path for living. So it, it, it has to, you, you're aware of this, you may not know the term of it. So it's, it's do, doing something that you're good at, doing something that you love, doing something that you get paid for and doing something that people need. So when constructing this program, I thought about where we are in this location in the country, in North Carolina, what we are good at as a program, what is needed out there, and what, did I already say what we're good at? But anyway, I wasn't really formally thinking about this, why to structure it this way. It just kind of happened this way. And I I think about this retrospectively, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But it's about building a program that we could deliver. And as you say, is rooted in real world experiences. Um, When you think about doing master's degrees, there's lots of master's degrees where you can get taught by faculty professors such as myself who have spent their whole lives in offices like this and don't have a whole lot of job experience. But in getting a master's degree in this type of really um, practical hands-on technical field, you want to be taught by people who have walked the walk and have experience. And so it was very important to have that relationship and it was rooted in real world experiences. So where we are in North Carolina, um, in the research triangle area, there's more than 600 life science companies in this area. Um, A significant number of those are uh, medical device industries. So it made sense. It made sense to um, educate students to feed into that pipeline. Uh, What we're good at as a program, as you guys know, probably as alumni, uh, I think we have a pretty strong design program. We take a number of courses in design, our faculty know design, our department knows design. And uh, the the other thing I think we're good at, both from NC State and UNC perspective, is entrepreneurship. Um, UNC is a great business school. They have great entrepreneurship programs. NC State is consistently ranked in the top I think they say they're number one in, in entrepreneurship in the Southeast. 
uh, with that qualification. So if you're good at entrepreneurship, you have a, a great medical device um, location. You have a program that is known for design. Um, the other piece of that that I think about that I, I really didn't think about when I was graduating from undergrad a while ago was <clears throat> this other option. So when you when you guys probably got to your senior year, you're probably thinking about grad school, med school, professional school, or industry. And we didn't really think about starting your own thing, starting your own company, because it didn't really seem attend it didn't it seemed accessible. Um, but now with entrepreneurship is kind of in your face. There's lots of people starting companies. Lots of people are very, 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 very good at it. We know Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. We know these names. These are household names. It, it, it may have been like that before, but we didn't have such access. So starting your own company doesn't seem as scary. Uh, there are programs now that teach methods to do that. So again, coming full circle now to that Ikigai concept, you have all of these circles overlapping mm. in this in this one area and so it made sense to do a program in medical device innovation and entrepreneurship in terms of numbers we we've just graduated our third cohort that was that was on sunday and mm -hmm. um, and so we have 28 graduates so far so we we we've, we've been a small program that's a, an important number that our cohort size is next year is going to be 11 last year it was 11 mm -hmm. so really tight-knit cohort something that you don't see a lot at state schools which are which have massive classes but um really small a lot of interaction with faculty um in those three cohorts we've had nine teams mm -hmm. out of those nine teams we've had four patent applications five companies started and they've raised more than hundred and ten thousand dollars in non-dilutive funding which is not a bad start i think oh. but, yeah. Um, but anyway, in terms of metrics, we track, those are the metrics we want to track. We want to, we, we don't want to just track number of students graduated. Mm -hmm. That's the, e that's the easy thing to track, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, that doesn't really help the student. As you say, Brian, the mm -hmm. student that's interested in what the program really strives to be. We want to set people up for success if they want to start their own companies. And if they are not quite sure about that and want to keep it as a side hustle as they start the real job, they'll be prepared for advanced placement in industry in, the, in that realm as well. I'm not sure if you mentioned it already, but when was the program founded? 2019, in the summer okay. of 2019 was our, was our first entering cohort. Uh, about a year before that, the groundwork was being laid in terms of getting the curriculum approved and developed and through the, the uh, massive swaths of red tape that universities have has has the cohort size grown since the first year not much not much okay. um yeah, we've been we've been pretty selective um when you have a small program it's it's easy to knock it off kilter in, in getting people that you're reaching for instead of people who are really passionate about this so we have a little bit of pressure to grow from university administrators, but we've been able to resist that for, for now anyway. And how many faculty are a part of the program? I know that I'm, I'm sure students will take kind of classes outside of the program as well, but how many are kind of core to, to this master's program? The core faculty are, there, there's three core faculty. I'm, okay. 
I, I would be a fourth, but I don't really consider myself as faculty since I don't teach in the, in this particular program. Mm -hmm. But the four the four faculty, I, I think it's important to know that each one has extensive medical device experience. Um, it, any any faculty in our department really could pick up a textbook and teach aspects of medical device design. But what I think our program does really well is you get to hear from people who do it day in day out and they can they can really tell you what they're doing in currently in industry because at least two of them have real full-time jobs not that this isn't a real job but you know what i mean yeah i love that they can kind of bring that experience back to the classroom exactly and, and how long is the program did you mention that the okay. year we start in the summer um in in uh, clinical immersion in hospitals doing needs discovery in the fall, we do prototyping and innovation and, and testing and iteration. And then in the spring, we do product development. So forming, uh, taking your prototype, refining the design, developing strategies for regulatory approval and IP protection and uh, funding. And yeah. then before you know it, you've graduated and uh, you're trying to figure out whether you want to stick with the company or take a job. I'd just like to add something to the uh, to the faculty portion of that. Uh, yes, uh, two of the faculty have full-time jobs and, and a third has spent significant time in, in industry. Um, but we also supplement our own experience with um, with guest lectures and mentors and subject mm -hmm. matter experts from industry. So I think that um, probably on average, we, we have, you know, say four to seven guest lectures each semester uh, that, that come from subject matter experts in industry that, that could be people in quality and regulatory and marketing and uh, sales and in, uh, in clinical engineering, training, usability, that type of thing. So you're not just hearing from faculty who have experience in industry. You're also hearing from uh, other experts who supplement our faculty's experience in industry in ways. Uh, so you're hearing from the experts that do the jobs and, and we're introducing you to that. Uh, and it's also an aspect of network expansion um, that I think is uh, probably unparalleled the, the amount of people and the types of people that you get to, to meet and interact with and uh, learn from and, uh, and use to, uh, to help you on your, on your project development. Yeah, and I think for some students entering a master's program, that can be kind of like one of their top objectives too, is to really build up their local network. So um, I think that's great that you you bring that into the classroom as well. I, David, you, you briefly touched on it, but I just want to go one layer deeper. Um, could you talk about the structure of the program and how they kind of move from, from August to that? Is it that May graduation then time period yep. or is it a full? Okay, so kind of how did the students move through the program? Um, through those three periods? Yeah, we start in, in the, in the three previous cohorts, we start at the end of June. Uh, okay. The, doing needs discovery. We've, we've noticed though, we could use more time in needs discovery. That's a very, very critical piece. And, and one, frankly, that um, a lot of, a lot of people in industry don't really get access to. Um, your marketing department sometimes tell, tells you what your needs discovery is instead of going there and, and getting the information yourself. But anyway, this year we're, we're starting in late May, so only in a couple of weeks. So we'll be able to spend more time in hospitals. And that first course, uh, which is it was just taught by Kelly Umstead, who you'll talk to later, um, she does a fantastic job uh, not only teaching how to find the needs, but how to ask the questions of the physicians and 
and to understand what is a need versus what is a complaint, what is a problem that is commercializable, how do we filter these, how do we triage them. As a, as a cohort, our 11 students will come up with something like 300 to 400 different needs. It's, it's quite remarkable in a short period of time. And our clinical partners are fantastic. So we have great hospitals in the area and university hospitals, and everybody's been really welcoming for our students, which, is, which has been a blessing so far. And then, so that was, that's the summer. And then in the fall, just in our, I would say our core sequence, uh, we, we get into prototyping, which is Matt's course. And so there's the, the down select of the need, and then we form teams around those needs. Um, and then Matt takes them through this uh, really creative process of brainstorming and ideation and how you come up with a solution to solve your specific need. Uh, and then in the, at the end of the fall, uh, the, the ask is to have a, a working prototype that's going to that's gonna meet your user requirements, which is fantastic, which is a, a pretty rapid pace, but, it, but it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. And then in the spring, you have a prototype. So how do you, how do you refine the design? And then how do you get it prepared for regulatory filing, um, knowing full well that we're not going to be able to get, we're not going to be able to file with the FDA by the end of May, but at least they know the process, um, and at least they know how how to protect the IP, and at least they know how to how to fundraise. Um, and so those are the three cornerstone courses along the way. Uh, the curriculum is supplemented with three MBA courses, and right now in the Pool College Management, we'll be expanding to Keenan Flagler Business School at UNC as well. And those courses teach the process of entrepreneurship. So how, how are existing technologies evaluated? Um, how do you rate the commercialization potential of each of these technologies? Um, and then doing voice of customer research on, on projects and technologies that are different than what they're doing in their, in their cornerstone sequence. And I think that's, that's important to get that, to learn the process on a different um, project along the way, they're they're interacting with MBA students and getting some cross pollination there. Um, they also take a regulatory course and another uh, technical elective to round up the curriculum. But it's uh, it's a pretty intense one year sprint. Um, but overall, I think students come out really well prepared to either start their own company or to be plugged into a company where they can understand more than just their little narrow aspect of their little corner of the world with their with their task to do. It sounds like you're kind of getting to uh, this next question, but um, you know, it sounds like it's very comprehensive, uh, could be very fast paced, but also uh, you learn a lot. So what kind of roles do alumni usually go into? Is it really geared towards entrepreneurship or do some people kind of take this knowledge and go into industry or how, have you kind of seen that kind of uh, a pattern or um, roles that alumni will go into? It's a lot of industry. Um, entrepreneurship is scary. Um, they've, they've, <laughs> they've just gotten out of a curriculum. Um, and so we see a lot of product development engineers, quality engineers, mm -hmm. engineers, period. A lot of mm -hmm. the, the um, we've been fortunate to have some healthcare workers come through the program and we, we really value them. So they'll go back to their healthcare uh, professions. Um, uh, we also, we really try to encourage them though, to keep their projects and their companies alive as um, a, a quote unquote side hustle mm. uh, because a lot of them have really, really good ideas. And it, it's a way to allow them to keep their entrepreneurial endeavors alive mm -hmm. while 
uh, not having to live off of ramen all the time. <laughs> so it's it's funny you brought up like ramen, right? Because uh, I'm going to ask a controversial <laughs> topic here, and I'm going to open up to both of you, right? Um, but you know, master's program comes with costs, right? Not only does it come with like the year that you're dedicating to it, but also like costs. There's tuition, and also we'll say a year of not working. So you know, um, can you? How do you justify the benefits of the program or or any academic program like this versus you know the diverse industry experience you could get in your early career? Well, the entrepreneurship piece I think is easy. If you're going to place a bet on yourself to be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. um, you're you're not you're not necessarily concerned about the near-term costs. You're looking mm -hmm. for that big, that big payoff. Mm -hmm. um, the other calculation, which I think most people do is what's this gonna cost me versus you know, not taking the industry job. Um, I think with a master's degree, you, you will recoup that. I don't know if it's gonna, I don't know what the time frame is. Maybe Matt has a better reference point of that, what salaries are with or without master's degrees. But I think within a, a year or two or three, you can probably recoup that in salary. Um, so I, I think it's worth it from that perspective. And, and from the other perspective, the, the master's degree is not just for BME graduates. Mm -hmm. um, I, I mentioned the healthcare people, the healthcare workers that come through. There's, um, there's people that come to us in other sciences, other engineering disciplines who use master's degrees, not, not just ours. I think this is just nationwide. You use a master's degree to pivot or to gain specialization in a different area. So from that perspective, you're not really thinking about um, a, a trade-off between an existing job and another job. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, I think David uh, hit on a number of, of interesting points. I, I think that um, I, I just want to build on that a little bit and say that um, there are some companies that are that are out there that do these sort of uh, leadership development programs where you might spend 16 to 24 months um, in various aspects of, of a business. Uh, so you might spend some time in quality engineering or you might spend time in product new product development or uh, in regulatory. And, and so you get to see an array of um, of different jobs that, that and, a, and different aspects of the business. I, I would argue that our program is an accelerated version of that that's done almost in chronological order and you probably get more breadth um, than, than you would in that uh, 16 to 24 months in industry. Um, and you, when you do that in industry, you're, you're only doing that within one company. And so you're, you're somewhat limited in terms of the, the network expansion you're going to have is going to be limited by your environment. And I would say that um, by, by participating in a program like ours, we're giving you that experience over an abbreviated time point, And we're uh, introducing you to uh, just a different level of people that you would interact with at a variety of companies um, throughout. So, I mean, we're bringing in VPs and, and C-level people um, to, and director level people to come and talk to you um, about these different uh, portions of medical device development. And uh, it's just, you're interacting on a different level. Uh, and not only that, but we're, we're also introducing you to venture capital, which you're not gonna get when you go into industry, uh, angel investors, um, you know, there's uh, there's kind of that business side. If you're going directly into, into engineering, you're not gonna you're kind of isolated from the business side of uh, of of that world. And so we're introducing you to both sides uh, and rapid network expansion and doing that over a condensed period of time, which I think is is extremely valuable. Yeah, and um, Matt, you mentioned breadth. Do you see breadth as a as a strength? Um, you know, some people look at BMEs and say. Uh, it's too much breath. There's not enough depth. And, you know, BMEs don't know anything where, you know, there's those accusations, we'll say. But do you see breath as a as a strength here? 
So I think that that argument um, can be true, especially for roles that are highly technical, mm -hmm. uh, where you're doing extremely detailed technical work. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for those types of roles, yes, you really need a strong background in an engineering fundamental um, where you can really deep dive in a, into a particular area. However, I think that um, I like to refer to people as T-shaped people. Have you guys ever heard that term before? I have, yes. Yeah, oh, so, I have not. So uh, help enlighten me. <laughs> so I think that um, BMEs are, in particular, um, great T-shaped people. They're often they're often extremely broad in their knowledge base. Like they they expand out like the uh, the the cross of the T, mm -hmm. uh, but they can be deep in uh, in in uh, in some areas, right? Uh, areas that are that are highly interesting. They might not be as deep as other people. Other people might look more like a sword, uh, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, but I think I think BMEs. Um, because you have that um, that breadth, it allows you to overlap with other T-shaped people, and you might be able to find solutions in uh, adjacent areas that you might not uh, be aware of if you're if you're just extremely deep in one. And so, I think that one of the things we see in industry right now, in particular, is like system engineering roles. Mm -hmm. um, I think BMEs are are really great for those types of roles because they are uh, this sort of inter uh, interstitial space between the mechanical, the electrical, the software roles, and, and they're they're really helpful driving the system architecture, you know, at a, uh, at, at kind of a, a, a higher level. Do you ever see like project managers come out of this or do you mm -hmm. see like traits of a good quality uh, project manager in, in your students? Yeah, I think that um, uh, some students are, are uh, definitely well set up for project management. Um, and I think that this is the type of role that gives you uh, that type of experience so that you can understand what's involved in all the different aspects. And it gives you, it, it helps you speak the language of, of each one of those, mm -hmm. um, those other disciplines in a way that, uh, that you can ultimately put together a really nice uh, package schedule. Gotcha. So for future project managers out there who are looking to get into this industry, this could be another, just another option, right? Get, get into it, understand the field and, and then get some good experience out of it. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of, um, this has come up quite a bit where we've talked about traditional programs and kind of the direction programs are going in now. In terms of this program, are there other ones like this? And, and what are the differentiators between those programs and this program? Um, maybe, maybe other ones that are focused on innovation and entrepreneurship. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there are others. Um, we compete with Georgia Tech and, and Johns Hopkins, and those are both excellent programs. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, the exact details of, of what all they go into and their, their strengths and weaknesses. So I'll just stick to what we do mm. and what we, we are good at. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, our ecosystem in, in med tech in this triangle area is unique. It's unique probably in um, only maybe three or four areas in the country are, are this densely populated with life sciences and med tech. So that, that's one thing. Um, our access to hospitals, our clinical immersion piece, uh, I don't know uh, if other programs do as deep a dive as we do, but uh, I know that the value that's created in that particular course and the access that our students have with our partners at, at the local hospitals is, is fabulous. Um, as I think we've already mentioned, the, the fact that our, 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 our cornerstone courses are taught by people who have a lot of experience in the field and not just, you know, academic people with fancy robes um, 
is important. Our, our guest speaker network that we have that we leverage is really important to us. Um, am I missing anything, Matt, in terms of strengths of our program? Yeah, I think you're arguing the same points that I would have in that we're we're extremely industry led, um, and so we're we're constantly uh, pulling the best from uh, uh, best practices from industry and implementing those in academia. And so uh, you're definitely uh, learning um, more about what it's like to work in industry than I, than I would expect that that you might from other uh, other competitive programs. So, do students work while they're in the program? Some do. Uh, some come come to us, and they've already they've already spent a little bit of time in industry. But others are, are coming direct from undergrad, and some, as we mentioned before, are, are interested in changing careers. And so, uh, one of the things that we've started to initiate is uh, is job placement activities, both uh, after the program, but also while uh, while students are inside of the program. And so, uh, we we have uh, new this year is uh, some internship opportunities for for students who are looking for um, experience to, to supplement the, their learning within the program. And so we have partner uh, companies uh, that are local to uh, to both campuses, uh, NC State and UNC, that um, are open to having students uh, become employees in a part-time to full-time capacity uh, while they're while they're a part of the program. So those are, are companies like a PolyZen or a Galero or uh, a Cambridge Design Partnership are, are participating in that uh, in, in that function for us. Do most students take advantage of that? Like what's the uh, what's the rate, I would guess, like per class of how many students are, are doing that? I think we've had some students that, that reach out to us in particular looking for um, uh, supplemental experience that's that's relevant. Um, and we also take a look at students who who might need additional financial support and and try to help them locate that either through the university uh, traditional university pathways or, or uh, help them in in this capacity as well. Yeah, I, that was would have been something I like really appreciated in a master's program because that was like a concern for me and the fact that you guys are like addressing that head on and and trying to help them get experience, um, like get paid for their experience, but also get like relevant experience is great. They don't have to take like some some random job. They can do something that's also adding to their education. So that's really cool that you guys uh, set that up. Yeah, we view it as kind of triangulating needs, right? Um, students have they need they want to learn, but they also need money. While they need some of them need to work while they're inside of the program. We have uh, companies who are are. You know, understaffed at the moment, quite frankly, and and need help to to accomplish their goals. And then we have ourselves. We want to be able to recruit really high quality students and and uh, train them up and 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 place them in those roles after graduation. So I, I view it as kind of triangulating three different problems and and creating a little uh, mini market there. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's a win win win. So what types of students or applicants do you think would excel in this program and really enjoy it? People who are interested, I, I think everybody who's interested in BME is interested in, in helping quality of life. So people who are really passionate about that, I think that goes without saying. People who have an entrepreneurial spirit, if they've uh, had their own lemon, lemonade stand as a kid, maybe. Um, <laughs> people who are looking for another option than going straight into industry or, or graduate school, or even healthcare workers who have an idea for something, but don't really quite know how to move it forward. I think there's a there's a, a lot of those out there. Who, I think they would excel in our program to learn the process of medical device innovation. Um, 
really just someone who has a passion for learning about and applying the process of, of how do I make a new device or technology to make human lives better. I would just uh, add to that, um, people who might be looking for a change in career. I think we've had a couple of those come through the program already. Um, people who might be affiliated with the uh, healthcare industry, but are interested in getting into product development um, and didn't do uh, engineering undergrad. I think we've, we've had a couple of those types of people come through and we've uh, definitely valued their, their experience and their opinions when they, when they have joined us. Yeah. And I see a space too, for maybe even engineering students, um, from undergrad that want more of an entrepreneurial focus as a master's program that maybe didn't get that. I, I know our BME undergrad program also has a bit of an entrepreneurial focus, but I think that's, that can't be said for all of them. So um, I think that's a bonus as well. And so for anyone interested, how can they learn more? How can they apply? What are all your contact points? Yeah, you can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for MedTech Innovation in Entrepreneurship. Find us there and follow us there. You can reach out direct to us through email. Uh, our email address is medtech underscore info at ncsu.edu. And our website is medtech.bme.unc.edu. And yes, those are two different um, uh, qualifiers, the ncsu.edu and the unc.edu. And that signifies that we're a joint department. And um, where can they apply? They apply through, it's actually through the portal, but you can access the a portal through our website. Uh, it's a typical um, academic application where you have a, a resume, letters of recommendation, transcripts. The thing that we really look at uh, intensely is the uh, personal statement. We need to see the passion for medical device development come across. Um, we are less concerned with GPA, GRE, we don't require GRE at all, in fact. I don't know that that's really a good measure of innovation. Um, and then GPA, likewise. Uh, you don't need to have a 4.0 um, or anything close to that, frankly, to get into the program. It's really, uh, I don't know that university classes capture the, your ability to create a, a new medical device as well. It's, so it's, we place a lot of emphasis on that personal statement. And then applications are reviewed by an admissions committee on a rolling basis. As soon as we get applications in, we'll review them and, and admit. So we are, we are a capped program, so it behooves uh, future applicants to get their applications in as, as quickly as they are able. Does it open at a certain time uh, for, for each next year? Like, is there a certain date it usually opens by? There's no, I don't think there's a formal opening, um, but we will start looking to see if there's applications piling up uh, in late November, early December, and start, you know, making decisions about who we'd like to have join us in our next cohort. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, we'll include all of those links you mentioned in the podcast description as well. And I'm really excited. This is a great start to the four episode mini series. So thank you both for joining us and giving an intro. I know we have some good episodes coming up with um, student teams from the program and instructors in the program. So for anyone listening, look out for those. And thanks both for joining us. Thank, thank you all for having us. Yeah, not only for this, but thank you for the just the podcast in general. I think this is quite a service that you provide to young BMEs out there. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you for your kind words. <laughs>
not just young ones. I think I've been listening uh, <laughs> just about every weekend. Hey, it's been great. Hey, you're so young. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes the first part of our four-part mini-series with the MedTech Innovation and Entrepreneurship Master's Program. Thanks for listening to the BME Grad Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our Instagram page, the BME Grad Podcast, for shorts and updates. In terms of the podcast, please subscribe or follow and leave a rating or review. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on the BME Grad Podcast and its origins, you can visit bme.unc.edu. And right now, that information is kept under their news and events tab. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.